We do welcome each one along tonight to our school prize giving. We welcome you in the Saviour's name. We're very glad to have all join with us who has. Some maybe are tuning in online as well. We welcome you also in the Saviour's name. It is out of sync a little. We usually have this in the autumn time, but we had a pri- uh, anniversary meeting back then, so we have held our prize giving over uh, until now. We're going to commence with hymn number 50 in the hymnal. It's page 196. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they feel not, as thou hast been, thou forever will be. This is based upon those words in Lamentations chapter 3. Great is thy faithfulness, and it's certainly an opportunity to acknowledge the Lord's faithfulness to us as a school and to render praise to him. Hymn number 50, and we're standing as we sing.
may be seated. We're going to bow together in prayer and look to the Lord tonight for his blessing and presence as we gather in this place. The eternal God and our gracious Father in heaven, we draw near into thy holy presence this evening. And it is with that desire to exalt thee and to acknowledge thy faithfulness. We thank thee we can take these words of Scripture as our opening praise. Great is thy faithfulness. We acknowledge, O Lord, thy mercies are new every morning. We thank thee for the multitude of them. They are not only a few in number and scarce and just often bestowed upon us, but Lord, we thank thee they frequently come. Every day they are bestowed upon us, and they come by the multitude. And, O Lord, we come tonight to exalt thy name, to humble ourselves before thee, and to confess in thy presence our unworthiness, how undeserving we are by nature. Lord, we do not deserve any of the mercies of God. If thou hadst dealt with us as we deserved I would have called our sin to account, and thy wrath would have fallen upon us. But we thank thee we can say with the psalmist that thou hast not dealt with us after our transgressions, or rewarded us according to our iniquities. We praise thee that those who are redeemed can say, as far as the east is from the west, so far hast thou removed our transgressions from us. We thank thee tonight, O God, there is a way to have sin put away. And that is through that, thy dear Son and the work that he has accomplished at the cross. And tonight we draw near to thee in his name. We come, O Lord, not in any merit of our own, but pleading all the merit that is in Jesus Christ. We thank thee for the Redeemer, for the one who made himself the sacrifice he was priest and sacrifice, offering himself without spot unto his Father. And he did it on the behalf of his people. And we thank thee for a work that is finished, complete. There is nothing more that needs to be added to that work tonight. And on the grounds of that atoning work, another's life, another's death, Lord, we stake our whole eternity tonight upon what Christ has done. We praise thee that's all sufficient. We need no other argument. We need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for us. And we look to thee tonight that thou will come and bless us as we gather. We acknowledge thy goodness to us in the work of the school. Lord, as another year will be marked uh, this evening, we take it as an opportunity to acknowledge thy goodness and thy provision for us in every way. Lord, thou hast preserved the work and kept it until this hour. We thank thee even as we have been marking 40 years since its commencement and how thou hast provided, O God, for us down through those 40 years. And thou hast never failed. We thank thee, thou art an unfeeling God. Thou would cease to be God 
If thou were to fail in one thing, even a small thing, and we know, Lord, that that can never be, thou art the infinite, eternal God of heaven. Thou art the living and the true God. Beside thee there is none other. Lord, we are dependent upon thee. We are the work of thy hands. Everything that we are, everything that we have comes from thee. The very breath we breathe is given to us by thee. Thou dost hold our breath in thy hands. In thee we live and move and have our being. Thou hast appointed the day of our birth and the day of our death and all our circumstances in between. So tonight we pray that thou will draw near, O Lord, and bless. And as praise is rendered unto thee, we pray that thou will be pleased to accept that praise. As we come, Lord, and assemble here now just in a, a little while as the pupils will come and minister in song, we pray that help will be given to them tonight. And we pray that you'll bless each one of our pupils in school. And we thank thee for them. Lord, it is our earnest prayer that thou would put thy hand upon them individually, that each one of them might know that the Lord has spoken to them, called them unto himself, called them to follow him and to serve him. And whatever that will be, Lord, only time will tell. But we know that thou hast a purpose and a plan for each life. And we pray, Lord, that there might be that fulfillment of that purpose and plan. So be amongst us tonight. Bless all who have gathered in. We thank thee for friends and supporters, for past pupils who are here as well tonight with us. We ask, Lord, that we all might know the Lord, drawing near and closing us in with himself for this time. And in all things, may thy great and glorious name be honored and glorified. Hear our prayers for we offer them in our Saviour's worthy and precious name. Amen. Amen. We're going to ask the pupils if they will come now and minister in song to us. We're always thankful for, for them and all the work they put into this. So we're going to ask them to come do that now, please.
Thank you very much indeed for that. I appreciate that ministry and song and all the effort that has been put into it by pupils and teachers in preparing them. So a word of thanks to you all for that. May the Lord bless those messages and those words that we have been listening to. We're going to turn to an offering hymn now, 306, and it is our school hymn, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause, maintain the honor of his word, the glory of his cross. Just to renew the welcome, I think maybe some have come in since I said that at the beginning, so just to renew that word of welcome to all tonight, we are very glad to have you join uh, with us, school families and some former pupils as well who are with us and other friends and family members in our own congregation here as well. Uh, we welcome each one in the Saviour's name tonight and we pray the Lord will bless us as we gather. So we're going to keep our seats and sing the opening, well, we'll keep our seats as we sing the opening part and the offering is going towards the school. We usually put a, a target around £3,000 on the school offering including gift aid, so that's what we'd like to get to again uh, tonight. So as the Lord has blessed you, uh, you can give and return uh, to him tonight. And uh, we're thankful for all who do support the work of the school financially and prayerfully. And there's gifts that come in steadily over the school year, and we're thankful for that. Some from our own congregation, some outside the congregation send in gifts to the school so we do appreciate all who support uh, the work and whose hearts the Lord uh, touches in this regard. And we're thankful for the Lord meeting our need in this way. So we're going to keep our seats and sing the opening verses of this hymn and then we'll stand for the remainder. 306, it's page 300 in the hymnal. Four firm as his throne has promised. Firm as his throne, his promises, and he 
may be seated. I want you to turn to the book of Exodus, second book of Scripture, chapter 2. We want to read the first ten verses of this chapter as our Bible reading this evening. Exodus chapter 2, and reading the first ten verses of this chapter. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the the child therein And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it and saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she said, and she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, take this child away and nurse it for me. And I will give thee thy wages. And the nurse took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. We want to turn over to Hebrews 11, but before you do that, I just want you to notice verse 2 because this is the connection we're going to make with Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 2 there that we have just been reading, it says, The woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. When she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And then if you turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, it is the 23rd verse that we want to take as our text tonight and speak upon this verse. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the public reading of his word for his name's sake. We're going to bow together in prayer just for a moment. Ask the Lord for his help as we come to his word tonight. Our Father, we pray that thou will bless us as we come to consider thy word this evening for a little while. 
as we gather here on a school occasion, and as we come to think about uh, the parents of Moses and what the Scripture says about them, we pray that there might be instruction for us, even with regard to our children and these little ones and young ones that have been before us tonight and who are in our school. We pray, Lord, that Thou will come. Thy Word always has something to say to us. There's never a circumstance in life, but Thy Word, O Lord, has some direction to give. We're never at a loss. There's always wisdom from God. And therefore, we pray tonight that Thou will bless us as we consider Thy Word and give us insights into the Scriptures. May we see that wisdom and receive that wisdom that is imparted through Thy Word. Speak to all of our hearts tonight, Lord. Whatever our spiritual state is, may the Lord come and speak tonight by His mighty power. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The man Moses that we know so well in Scripture would not have been around to lead the children of Israel out of the house of bondage, to lead them through the wilderness and bring them to the edge of the land of Canaan, if it had not been for the actions of his parents. You have to read on through until the sixth chapter of the book of Exodus, until you find the names of his parents. And there in chapter 6, you find that his father was called Amram, and his mother was called Jochebed. His father and his mother were both Levites. We learn that from the portion that we read there. In fact, Amram, his father, was the grandson of Levi, and therefore the great-grandson of Jacob. There was Jacob, Levi, Kohath, Amram, Moses. That makes Moses the seventh from Abraham. You know the importance in Scripture of that other seventh, not from Abraham, but from Adam. Enoch is described in the Scriptures as the seventh from Adam. And what a man Enoch was, a man who walked with God, the Scripture tells us. And he walked with God so much the Lord took him home early, translated him to heaven. And he had that testimony. The Scripture tells us that he pleased God. Well, there's another man, Moses, and he's the seventh from Abraham. And he too is going to be a mighty man in the Scriptures, a man of God. That description of him appears a number of times throughout the Scriptures, not just in those historical chapters that you find in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuter Deuteronomy, but over into the book of Ezra as well, you will find Moses referred to as the man of God. The Lord said there was never a meeker man in all the earth than Moses. But all that Moses accomplished for God in leading the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness, bringing them to the verge of Canaan, owes so much to the actions of his parents. And it's his parents that I want to draw to your attention this evening. And in particular, I want to draw you to notice their faith. Because that's what Hebrews 11 emphasizes, that great uh, chapter, that roll call of faith and the exploits of faith here that is recorded for us in Hebrews chapter 11. We've just dipped in here and took this one verse that applies to Moses' parents, but it tells us there in verse 23, by faith, 
Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. The actions of Moses' parents were marked by faith. And as that's the particular thought that I want us to think about for a little while this evening with regards to these parents. Now, faith refers to their trust in God. Their saving faith that brings a guilty sinner to the place where they put their faith and trust in God's divinely appointed Savior. And there is only one Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's not many ways to heaven. There is but one way, and that is God's way through his dear Son. I am the way, he said, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And we need to have our faith in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have your faith in Jesus Christ tonight, well, then that's where you need to start. You need to have saving faith in God's appointed Savior and God's appointed Redeemer. But there's another element of faith that is here before us when we come to think about the parents of Moses. Because the Bible tells us that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Not only are we to come to saving faith in Christ, but there is a faith that a Christian exercises every day. They walk by faith. Well, what does that mean? And Moses' parents certainly had that because we're uh, drawn to notice this here in Hebrews chapter 11. But this is a living faith where there is a daily dependence upon God to fulfill his promises that he has given to us in his word, to overrule all events and circumstances for his own glory in our own lives and in the lives of others as well, and also to give help and wisdom in all that parents do with regards to their children. We need that living faith. We need the faith of, of Moses' parents. This isn't recorded in the Scriptures just for us to have a little bit of information and background with regards to Moses' parents and that as far as it goes. It's written for our instruction, the Scripture teaches us. These things are written for our admonition to put something into our mind, our understanding. So when we come to think about the parents of Moses, there is something here that we can notice that is applicable to you and I, and particularly tonight, the parents. And I want to draw a few things to your attention uh, for a little time this evening. I want you, first of all, to think about the contrast in the faith of Moses' parents, the contrast. And I'm contrasting their faith with the faith or lack of faith of other Israelites who lived alongside them in the land of Egypt. Because remember the backdrop to what you read about Moses' parents and what they did with regard to him. It was that command that had been given by the king of Egypt, by Pharaoh, that every newborn Hebrew boy was to be cast into the river to drown. You read that there in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 22. Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. So Pharaoh had a plan as to how he was going to take away the distinctiveness of the Israelites and amalgamate them among the Egyptians to the point where there would be no difference. They would look exactly the same because there would be no Hebrew family set up. 
There would be no Israelite nation after a while because they would all be assimilated into and among the Egyptians because every boy was going to be drowned. And that would leave the girls growing up into young women would end up being married into Egyptian families and to the sons of Egyptians. And very quickly then, the whole distinctiveness of this people is going to evaporate and no be no more. This is Pharaoh's plan, and he has given the command. He wants to weaken them as a nation. He fears them. If you go back to Exodus chapter 1 and read the earlier verses there in that chapter, it tells us about how he feared them and, and how he wanted to curtail them because he feared that the day would come when they would be stronger than he would be. So he comes up with this plan. Every Hebrew boy is to be cast into the river. Their lives are not to be spared. And amazingly, there were Israelite parents who went along with what the king commanded. There were Israelite parents who did as the king commanded, who who threw their children into the river and let them drown. I'm not speculating with regards to that, because you couldn't uh, speculate on something so, so serious as to make that charge against Israelite parents. The Word of God tells us that that is what happened. If you turn over to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7, and maybe you know the verses already, Verses 18 and 19, Stephen is making defense of himself against the charges that are brought against him, and he's going over a little bit of their history, and he mentions these parents and what they did. And there in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 7, and verse 18, it speaks about another king arising, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. Now, the singular verbs in those two verses refer to Pharaoh. The plural verbs refer to the Israelite fathers. So, it says there, he dealt subtly with our kindred. I've already referenced his plan that he came up with, and evil entreated our fathers. Another singular verb, but then into the next clause it says, so that they cast out their young children. And it changes from the singular to the plural, and the reason why it changes from the singular to the plural is there's mention made of the fathers. He evil entreated our fathers, plural, so that they. The they in that verse is referring to Israelite parents, Israelite fathers who willingly conformed to the plan that Pharaoh had laid down, and they took their newborn boys and they threw them into the river to let them drown, all to please an ungodly king. And in pleasing an ungodly king and conforming to the plans of an ungodly king, they were destroying their own offspring and they were destroying the distinctiveness of their own people. They were lending a hand to Pharaoh in his attempt to destroy 
the Israelite nation. And when Moses was born, we read that his parents, by faith, determined that they were not going to obey the command of the king. Tells you that there in Hebrews 11.23. There is that specific reference. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. They were not afraid of it. That gives you a little insight into why those others did what they did. Those Israelite fathers that are referenced there in Acts 7, they did it out of fear. Did it out of fear. They feared Pharaoh. They feared his command. And out of fear, they gave their children over to death. But there's a man and a woman, a father, husband and a wife, a father and a mother, Amram and Jochebed, and it tells us they did not fear the king's commandment. They were not marked by fear. Rather, they were marked by faith. They were marked by faith. And as a result of that faith that they had, that living faith, day by day in their lives, they are not going to obey the king's commandment. They are not going to follow what other Israelites have done as well. They're going to be different. They're going to act with faith. They're going to defy the king. He was a despot. We've already read, or you can, we've read a little, you can go back and read a little bit more about his cruelty towards the Israelites. They've made them slaves. They've they've put them into bondage, hard labor. But nevertheless, Amram and Jochebed are determined they are not going to to do as the king commands. They did it by fear, by, by faith instead of fear. And parent, that is what you and I need tonight in this day and age as well. Well, the circumstances might be slightly different, but I would suggest there's a plan for the children of this province, the children of God's people. Our enemies have a plan. They know what they want to do. It's not something that happens haphazardly. The onward march of wickedness and ungodliness and the inroads of the vilest of sins and perversions that there are in society, that's not just something that happens by chance. That happens by a plan. There's a plan for our children in this day and age. It's a plan to ruin them. It's a plan to take away their distinctiveness It's a plan to so envelop them and bring them in among the world's crowd that after a while there's there's no difference between a worldling and the children of God's people. You and I need the same spirit that was in Moses' parents. We need faith, a willingness to defy whoever comes along and says otherwise. We need the same spirit. We ought not to be motivated by fear. Not not if we have a living God to trust. And not if He exhorts us to have faith in Him and to trust Him and to depend upon Him. Why, Why would we fear? Why would we fear? We've staked our whole eternity on His Word. Our hope for eternity. That which we have not seen as yet. We are staking all our eternity upon his word. Can we not stake our life now here and that of our children and our homes 
Can we not stake that upon his word? If we have staked our whole eternity upon his word? So there is a contrast here to the faith of Moses' parents. I want you secondly to consider the cause of this faith of Moses' parents. Because we read there, I pointed out that verse to you in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 2, and also here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, you'll see the word proper. They saw that he was a proper child. The word proper is exactly the same as the word fair in Acts chapter 7 and verse 20. We're back again to Stephen and to his account there of their, something of their history. And it says there in Acts 7 verse 20, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And the word fair back there and the word proper here in Hebrews eleven twenty three is exactly the same word. It's only a different English translation in the two verses. There's a little bit added there in Acts 7 verse 20 because there's the word exceeding. And our translators have actually interpreted it's a Hebrewism that is carried over because it literally means fair to God. That's what it literally is. They looked upon Moses and they said, here's a child fair to God, fair in the eyes of God. And that's one way of expressing uh, a superlative. So there was something about Moses when he was born that caused these parents to say, we're not going to follow the king's commandment. We're going to defy the king. We're going to act in faith. We're going to trust the Lord to preserve this child that is born. Over there in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 2, it says he was a goodly child. He was a goodly child. There was something that his mother noticed in him. Because it, it, if you go back there, if you've got your finger in that place and you look at Exodus 2 verse 2, it says that she saw that he was a goodly child. It was something that the mother picked up on, the scripture would suggest. It wasn't so much Amron, his, his father, that picked up on that. No, it says that she saw him, that he was a goodly child. So there was something that his mother detected in him. And that spurred them on to act in the way that they did, that they're not going to throw him into the river. They're going to do everything they can to preserve him. Sometimes they talk about a mother's insight, a mother's instinct. There may well be something to that. Certainly suggested here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 2 that there was something that Moses' mother detected. Why, why would the Scripture be specific and say it was, it was her that detected it? Why, why did the Scripture, and the Lord could have said that, that they, they saw that, there was, that he was a goodly child. But no, the Scripture says she saw that he was a goodly child. There was something that his mother detected in him. There was something that, something of the purpose of God that she detected. Now that was expressed, it would seem, in an outward fairness, because that's what those words fair and proper suggest here in Acts 7 and 20 and Hebrews 11 verse 23. They're words that suggest outward beauty. So there was something outward in him, but there was much, much more to that. 
Moses was destined to be used of God. Moses is, is unique in that he is an example of that truth that God sends answers to prayer even before God's people start praying for something. Because it's only a little bit after that that you read about the people of God sighing under the bondage of Egypt. You have to go on down. We didn't read as far as verse 23 of Exodus uh, chapter 2. But if you did, uh, from verse 20, this is the last three verses of the chapter through to verse 25, you will read there about the sighing of the children of Israel by reason of the bondage and how they cried and that their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage and that the Lord determined to, come to send them relief. But he'd already answered that prayer. Their, their Savior, their Deliverer was already born. They didn't have to wait on Moses to be born. He was already born. He was already alive. God had already answered that prayer even before they had started to pray. And as I say, he is one of those examples. Very few that there are Pacific that you can turn to, but you have the promise in Isaiah 65 and verse 24, and it shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they're yet speaking, I will hear. You could take that verse and take it back to the Exodus chapter 2 and write it in your margin and say, there's an example of that verse being outworked. It shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. God had already answered. Moses was already born. And God had put it into his parents' heart to preserve him, that he wouldn't be thrown into to the river. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. Oh, certainly the Lord had heard. While they were yet speaking to him, the Lord had heard. Moses was already born. He was going to be the answer to the prayers of that oppressed people who were in bondage. God has already sent the answer. We don't know what the future holds for our children, parent. But we ought to live with the expectation that God is going to use them in some way or other. God is going to use them in some way or other. Children are the heritage of the Lord, as we know. And there is a purpose and a plan that God has for them. And we ought to believe that about our children. Now, they need to be saved. They need to be converted. They need to be taught and trained, counseled. They need to mature. There's much that needs to happen to them. But that still doesn't take away from the fact that we ought to look upon our children as children given by the Lord for a purpose and a plan. And maybe we can even go as far as to say they're given an answer to our prayers. Maybe the prayers of, of parents, maybe the prayers of others. But we ought to look upon those children. We ought to look upon those children in school as they stood here before you tonight. I certainly would encourage you to look upon them in that particular way. That God has a purpose for them. And that they may be, and we trust that they are, 
the answer to prayers that are being prayed, maybe at present or maybe even in the past. That they will grow up to honor God. That they would in turn set up Christian homes that would honor God. That they would live a life dedicated to pleasing Him above everything else. Moses was an answer to prayer. He was there already. He was God's appointed deliverer. They failed to appreciate that initially in those events that caused Moses to end up fleeing from the land of Egypt. But Moses was conscious of it. He was conscious of his calling. When he went out that day, that it tells us back there in in, in Exodus chapter 2, he was conscious that day when, when he went out that he, he was going out as, as God's deliverer. It really annoys me when I hear people accusing Moses of being a murderer. That is a slight on God. Never mind a slight on Moses. That is a slight on God. God raised Moses up to be their deliverer. And that day that he went out and he ended up slaying the Egyptian and the Hebrews didn't understand him and then they turned on him and he had to flee, that wasn't Moses' fault. That was the lack of faith on the part of the Israelites that didn't see that God had answered their prayer and sent them a deliverer. I was just noticing there a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago when I was studying for this and thinking about this, that I actually have a wee comment by Calvin in the margin of my Bible that I've written in. It's from Calvin's Harmony of the Pentateuch. If you know those uh, volumes at all, they're well worth having and reading. But Calvin says, in, uh, with regards to that portion, it says, and I quote, He acted as God's appointed deliverer of Israel. He did not act rashly. He acted with reticence in looking this way and that way. It wasn't some rash action by Moses that he ended up slaying that Egyptian. It wasn't. If that's what it was, then he was a murderer. If that's what he was, but it wasn't. He went out knowing, I'm God's appointed deliverer. And the fact that his fellow Israelites did not understand that and were still engulfed with fear wasn't Moses' fault. And their deliverance was delayed 40 years. Because Moses had to flee, as we know, and then he was in, in Midian for 40 years until the Lord then sent him back again. 40 years later. 40 years earlier, they could have had their deliverance. They could have been delivered 40 years earlier if they had but realized this is God's appointed deliverer. This is the answer to our prayers. The whole focus of the, the conduct of those parents was this child. I don't need to tell you that that is obvious when we come to our Christian school. The whole focus 
the purpose for our existence is these pupils that have stood before you tonight. This is why the school exists. This is why the laborers are engaged in. It's for them and for some who have gone before and others, hopefully, who are coming on behind. It's for them. It's for them. But we need the same faith that Moses' parents had with regards to them. We need the same faith. Focused on our children in an evil day, Christian. That the Lord might use them. I, I hasten on. I don't want to take too long tonight. One last thing here I want you to consider. The character of the faith of Moses' parents. You read again there in Hebrews eleven twenty three that they, they hid him three months. And Acts 7 verse 20 says they nourished him up in his father's house uh, three, three months. So they hid him, they nourished him. There, come, there came that time when they could not hide him any longer and they devised that, that plan, make a, an ark of bulrushes, daub it with slime and with pitch and put him in and lay him in the flags by the river's brink. You know, sometimes we think the plan stopped with just the preparation of the little ark. But evidently his parents had a, had a far wider plan and a far wider uh, thought process in how he was going to be preserved. What, what, what is the sense? Where is the logic of just putting a child into a basket and putting them in the reeds by the river's edge? If that's as far as it goes, there's no logic in that. But if they were thinking somewhere beyond that and knowing that Pharaoh's daughter came along there every day, as the Scripture tells us that she did. We don't have time tonight to go back to Exodus, but if you do, notice it tells you that Pharaoh's daughter and her maidens were known to walk along there. So Moses' mother, and whatever part his father played in it as well, knew he's going to be found. The child is not going to survive otherwise in a basket of bulrushes. He's not going to survive just left there. Someone has to find him. It would suggest he's already hungry and needing fed. When she takes whatever lid there is off it, the child was already crying, and Miriam comes along and says, well, I go and get, get a, a nurse for him. So evidently he was already hungry. They had, they had more in mind than just somehow putting him in a, a basket by the, the edge of the river and hoping for the best. You know, Christian, it's not enough to hope for the best with your children. That's not enough just to hope for the best. That's not going to work. And that's not what Moses' parents were, were doing. They weren't hoping for the best. They, they had a plan. And at the center of it was faith in God. The Lord was going to overrule it here. The Lord was going to see to it that that child was preserved. You see, they had learned from the past how to protect. Where did you think they got the idea of an ark from? 
Well, we're all familiar with the ark that you read off in Noah's day and how God gave the plan and how it too was pitched within and without and it became a place of safety that God blessed and used to preserve humanity. And here's a, a father and a mother and they say, well, we're going to do the same. We're going to take God's pattern and we're going to apply it to our own circumstances and our own family. And we're going to make a little ark and we're going to put this child in this ark and we're going to depend on God to look after him. We're going to depend on God to look after him. And they were looking by faith to God that he would bless the means that they had adopted. The Lord was in it every step of the way. By faith, they did all of these things. They had Miriam standing by. That indicates to me something of the, the foresight that his Moses' parents had. Miriam was standing by. It says there back in Exodus 2 and verse 4, his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him because they expected something to be done to him. And Miriam was primed to be there at the very moment. And their, their plan, their faith in God was that the child would be found and then given back to his own mother to look after and to rear they can't keep him any longer without others knowing he's there. That We're told that. They've hit him for, for three months and they can't do it anymore. It's going to be obvious there's a child. It's going to be obvious there's a male child in the house, a boy. So they can't hide him any longer. But they have set in motion a plan, looking to the Lord to bless it, that the time will come this child will be given back to its mother. And she can continue raising that child without any fear of being discovered or found out or told you have to cast him into the river. You see, there's faith in operation. A trust in God to overrule and to bless the means adopted. Now, the means itself would have accomplished nothing. Everything was against it. He, he's a Hebrew child. Pharaoh has made the command. So, of itself, the means was not going to accomplish anything. But if God is in it, then that's altogether different. And that's the same in our, our Christian school, parent. The means itself is not going to accomplish anything. If all we are depending upon is the means itself, It'll fail you. It'll fail you. We need the blessing of God upon the means. Yes, we're told to do certain things, to protect, to hide, to teach, instruct. I don't need to go through all of that uh, tonight. But the point I do want to emphasize tonight is you can do all of that and it'll come to nothing unless you get on your knees and plead with God for your children. And I mean plead with God for your children to bless the means that God has given you to use. The means of themselves will come to nothing. You have to make them effectual by prayer. Every parent has to make them effectual by prayer. And we cannot afford to fail our children in that. 
And we can do all these other things, and it seems as if, at least outwardly, we've done all of these things and put them in place. But have we prayed that God would make the means effectual to them? You know, is there anything that seems so utterly illogical as putting a child in a basket and putting him in the reeds at the river edge, knowing that Pharaoh's daughter, and there's already a command to throw the child into the river, it's going to walk by there every day. What, what is the logic in that? But if God is in it, and that's what Hebrews 11 and 23 here would suggest to us with regards to the parents of Moses, God was in it. They were trusting in the Lord. They were looking to the Lord to bless the plan that they had devised and that he would see to it that the child was preserved despite all the odds, what seems to be impossible. How can this ever be that Moses would be preserved? And yet he was because God overruled. And you and I need the character that the faith of Moses' parents had as our own. We need faith in God. The Lord will bless the means. It's like bringing your children under the sound of the gospel or bringing anybody under the sound of the gospel. The Bible tells us it's foolishness. It's foolishness. They're dead. You might as well go down to the graveyard and preach. And I say that as a preacher. You might as well go down to the graveyard and start preaching in the graveyard. Because by nature, we are dead in trespasses and in sins. What's going to be accomplished through preaching to dead? What's accomplished? What would be accomplished to go down to the graveyard and preach in the graveyard? But the difference is, the gospel is preached with that conviction. The Lord uses it. The Lord blesses the means. He takes the means that he has ordained, and he blesses those means, and he puts life-giving power into his word that can raise the dead. Like those words that Christ spoke at the grave of Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. There was life in those words. And Lazarus came, came out of the tomb because there was life in the word. And so there is in, in the word of God taught to the, whether it's the children in school or in your home or in the house of God, you look to the Lord to bless the means. That even though it seems so foolish and you know every individual by nature is dead and trespasses and in sins. But God has promised to bless the means. And when I employ the means, I can look to the Lord then to bless the means. I can step out in faith, trusting, simply trusting that God has said, I'll bless the means that he has ordained that we use. Moses' parents stepped out in faith. And may we as parents do that 
with regards to our children every day. And may the Lord help us by His grace. Maybe you are here tonight and you're unconverted. You're dead in trespasses and in sins, but it's our prayer that God will make His Word live in your heart. That's referring to the pupils here who are not converted, but adults as well here tonight. The Word can come to your heart with power, life-giving power. It can be just like that grave in Bethany where Lazarus was, and Christ spoke the Word, and it was life-giving Word. It brought forth a dead man to life. And may the Lord even do that in all of our pupils in school and adults as well tonight. May the Lord bless His Word. Let's bow together in prayer for a moment. Our Father, write these things that we have thought upon, upon our hearts. Teach us Thy Word. Teach us, Lord, to live by faith, to be like the parents of Moses, to be willing to defy the commandments of today and the thinking of today and the philosophies of today and those, Lord, who who want our children to destroy them. May we defy them just like Moses' parents did and look to God to preserve them and bless them and use them for His own glory. Bless your word. We pray tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. 534, we're going to sing a couple of verses of this hymn, and it'll just give the opportunity to get ready for uh, the prize giving. So 534, page 391, O for a faith that will not shrink, though though pressed by many a foe, that will not tremble on the brink of poverty or woe, that will not murmur nor complain beneath the chastening rod, but in the hour of grief or pain can lean upon its God. A faith that shines more bright and clear when tempests rage without than when in danger knows no fear in darkness feels no doubt. We're going to sing just those first three verses of the hymn. Standing as we do, 534 verses 1, 2, and 3.
Right. There were some gifts that came in uh, before the meeting as well, so they are counted into this as well. But the offering total without gift date has come to £2,667. So that's without gift date. So thank you very much uh, indeed. So with gift date, that should get it almost up near that, I would reckon. So appreciate all the giving tonight. So that was two, tonight it was 2267 and then there were gifts of £400 had come in. Uh, earlier as well, so thank you very much indeed. We're here to mark and celebrate and award prizes for all the effort that has been put into 2022 to 2023. That's a long time ago, isn't it? You know, I was just thinking about that, all the hard work that the boys and girls have put in, the teachers have put in, Parents have put in the homeworks. I was just thinking of a verse in the Psalms, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. And I would encourage you to go home and read Psalm 150. Because that Psalm goes on to say, The Lord hath been mindful of us, he will bless us he will bless the house of israel he will bless the house of aaron he will bless them that fear the lord both small and great the lord shall increase you more and more you and your children and remember that as we give out these awards tonight boys and girls the lord give you the strength and the ability and the desire to study and may the lord have all the glory and the honor in our lives. I'm just going to say about swimming awards, it has just come to my attention that the Valley Leisure Centre has stopped giving out awards. And so I made a, a phone call and they have invited me to make application to the council. I know there's a councillor here tonight, so hopefully he's listening too. Because the parents of the children in the school swimming program have no idea of what progress they're making. So we're hoping to turn that around and give you some idea, and us too as teachers, how they're getting on. So hopefully next year we'll be back to swimming awards, or at least some information regarding their progress. So move on to sports day, and I'm going to try and do this really fast. So I'm going to just call out the names and you come up in the order I call you and then as you are getting your awards I'll say uh, a few other things. So lower primary Elijah Brown, upper primary Micah Brown, secondary girls Rebecca Fleming and Sophia Hanna, secondary boys Joshua Arrow. award and I didn't have it 
Mrs. Hannah has asked me to mention other people that were very close on the heels of those first places. So come June time, get the trainers out and see if you can get first place. Keegan Hall, um, Seth, one point behind Monica, Zara and Akira were two points behind the girls and Joshua Woods was three points behind Joshua Carroll. So just keep that in mind. Moving on to the Ballymena show. <clears throat> and again, I'm going to just move forward as quickly as I can through this. P3, painting a farm animal, third prize, Ezra Jordan. Year f I'm going to just keep reading if you can keep the claps to the end. Year four, painting my... Come on, Ezra. Painting my favourite character from a novel, we took all prizes. First, Maisie McKee. Second, Martha McAnally. Third, Claudia Clark. I'll maybe take a break there. You earned it. Um, year five, a tessellation. First prize, Joel Arrell. Year seven, first prize, Seth Brown. Third prize, Andrew McAnally. Moving on to the essays in the Ballymena show, what makes me happy? We had a prize there for Samaya, but she's not with us anymore. Third prize, Claudia Clark. The perfect school day, year five. You can only guess what Joel wrote there to get second prize. Um, so Claudia, what makes me happy? The perfect school day. Year seven essay was If I Were Prime Minister, and again we took a full sweep there. First prize, Seth. Second prize, Zach. Hannah. Third prize, Heidi Clark. A lot of money going home tonight. Uh, moving on to handwriting, year four handwriting, The Friendly Octopus was the poem they wrote out. First prize, Maisie McKee. Second prize was Samaya, but she's not with us. We'll pass that on to her. Right, Maisie. And year seven handwriting. We'll say nothing about year five and year six there last year. Year seven, Seaside Sounds. Second prize, Heidi Clark. Third prize, Seth Brown. And then someone won a baking competition as well. They do bake those at home, it's not in school. Second prize for no bake buns, Claudia Clark. There's 
some money to buy ingredients for next year. Right. <clears throat> Moving on, I've, I've, I've sort of let the cups spread out rather than giving them all at the end. The science cup is an average across two exams in the science fair, and that uh, is going to be awarded for an average of 96% to Rebecca Fleming. Total. I nearly said Rebecca Clark there. Um, <clears throat> poetry Cup. I'm not going to take the time I usually do to read some poems. But um, in the primary school, we have a habit of just taking a poem that they're learning and trying writing an alternate verse or an alternate theme, like we're doing an August afternoon, and they try to write a poem about January afternoon. So this year we're going to give the Poetry Cup to two girls. And I teach English right from one end of the school to the other. So I have a fair good idea of, of the poets amongst us. So we're going to give it to Claudia Clark. And I'm thinking of putting a wee display up for Parents' Night so you can see some of the poems that she's written. Claudia Clark and Emma Oates. Girls. meant to look to see if Claudia had won this before. Have you, Claudia? Right, well, we'll let you have it first, and then you have to give it to Emma, okay? Right. Emma. Emma's poem, they had a wee bit of a experience of some Ulster Scots words, and I always thought Ulster Scots was just for you County Antrim people, but I realised I was quite fluent in it, coming from County Tyrone. And so Emma, disparagingly enough, said, wrote a poem, There Was a Gappy Young Fella from Tyrone, in good Ulster Scots. So we've chosen that, Emma, and given you that award. Our top speller is usually in the primary school, because they do something like 1,200 spellings throughout the whole year. And so when they get one wrong, you mathematicians will know that one spelling wrong out of a big total represents a very small percentage loss. So the older ones in secondary school do much harder spellings, but less of them. So one spelling wrong re represents a big percentage loss. So it's usually a primary school pupil, but this year for 100% in every spelling test, Sophia Hanna. Mrs. Brown has asked me to hand out some certificates given out by Digital Futures. There was an app design and development workshop that some of the year, I'm thinking they were year nine last year, attended. So this is just to indicate they took part in that competition. So if you could come up, Benaya Brown, Philip Woods, Alfie Clark, Sophia Hanna.
Moving on to Ola French on line language. Four steps up to GCSE. And we did get commended there by the inspectors because so many schools are giving up on modern languages because it's hard work, isn't it? Don't you do a lot of moaning to Mrs. McGill about French? It is hard work. It's consistent hard work for a long time. So we were commended on that. So we're going to give these out. I'm just going to tell you the level, and I'm going to tell you the percentage of the first, the highest scorer in the level. Okay? So we'll start with entry two, which is the first step. Not right? So the, first, the top scorer in that was Seth Brown with 96, but I'm going to read out all the names. Seth Brown, Heidi Clark, Caitlin Hall, Luke Jordan, John Arrell, Andrew McAnally, Zach Hanna, Emma Oates, Akira Watt, Micah Brown. If you all could come forward and I'd give you... So some of them were P7 pupils taking that exam a year early. Then entry three is step two in that journey towards GCSE French. Corey Hall. No, this is not the right order, sorry. Lenora Fleming, 99. Kyle McKittrick and Corey Hall. Then level, there were no level ones, that's the third step. Level two, Rebecca Fleming had 95, and then Jean Arl as well in that level. So girls, can you come up? Okay. So if you were paying attention, you heard the highest score there. Lenora Fleming, 99%. Scripture recitation now. These are the children who have said their verses perfectly every week. That represents a lot of effort on parents' part. I know that. I've been there and done that. You have to keep going over it. You have to teach them how to check it themselves. You have to put the effort in. So I recognize all the hard work on the children's part and on the parents' part. So I'm going to read out the names and you can come forward in any order. Elijah Brown, Joel Arrell, Connie McAnally, Andrew McAnally, Seth Brown, Philip Woods, Jane Arrell, Zara Brown, Faith John.
Okay, we're going to move on just to the exam subjects. Can I ask Sarah to come back again? She did her GCSE maths in fourth year to make way for further maths. So she got a great A star. And Faith Chong, eight GCSEs from A to C. I don't believe Zach's here, is he? No. And Zach had the top, was the top candidate with nine GCSEs, but we'll pass that on to him and the, the little shield. And then we had uh, an AS level student as well in three subjects, gaining her grades in French, geography, and mathematics. And also just a little note that she finished her 11th GCSE as well, studying Spanish in her own time. So she's ended up with five A stars, four A's, and two B's, and now her A's. And we have decided to give her the Achievement Cup for her exam results. Grace, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Hopefully I haven't missed anything out. Um, we will follow up on the swimming, but well done everyone and parents, we do appreciate all that you do to support us and help us. Um, we're there, yes, to do a lot of the teaching, but if they don't have their verses learned or their homework done or reading done, it makes our life that bit harder. So thank you. And let me just finish with those words of Psalm 115, not unto us, not unto us. Even the psalmist repeated those. But unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and thy truth's sake. all the effort I went to track that down. So I don't know if the Reverend Brown, he is here, the Reverend Brown is here um, with all his bright ideas. <laughs> he was the one that came up with the idea to celebrate our 40th anniversary, we would have a time capsule. And so all the children wrote an essay about what they would put in a time capsule. I passed all of those beautiful essays to Dr. Judith Cole. So thank you, Judith, for reading them all. She thought they were very interesting. And she has chosen out um, some people to uh, be singled out. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the box. Now, we've got sourced a much sturdier box, but in, while we're waiting for it, I'm just going to hand out this box. So, um, Judith has picked out two girls as first and second place in this essay. And they're going to work together to put the um, time capsule together. So those essays will be put up as well for parents' night. So I'm going to ask those two girls, Sophia, Hannah and Heidi, 
your teachers are giving you all the hard work so now you have to go and find the dictionaries and the newspapers and the paper money that'll be interesting and the coins that you think should go into that box so thank you girls and thank you Judith I was just thinking there it's very green very environmental friendly it's, but it's not going to last that. We are getting a, there's a, it just hasn't arrived. In fact, there's two lovely chests that we're getting uh, that are going to be the recipients of all of these things that the pupils have suggested that we put away. I don't know how many years was there a suggestion on how many years we put this away. Most of us are going to be gone by the time they open it. So I suppose that's the whole idea of uh, a time capsule. Mr. Brown, had you any idea of how long? No, I don't you. <laughs> <laughs> we were suggesting today that 40 years from now, the 70-year-old Mrs. McGill would do it. <laughs> <laughs> Some, yes, somebody will be here maybe. Anyway, the, the, I think the idea too was to bury it at the bottom of a tree out in the ground somewhere. Uh, but I don't know whether we're going to do that or not, or put it in a safe space somewhere that uh, we have it in school, that people can walk past for the next 40 years and wonder when are they going to open this to see what's in. But you'll have to forget what was there, so it's all exciting when you go to open it. Anyway, congratulations to you all uh, in whatever part. Maybe you haven't got up this evening to get... Um, any prize but if you've done your best that, that's all the Lord requires of you it's like that lady in scripture that the Lord said she has done what she could and that's all the Lord requires of any of us and sometimes that gets people a prize and sometimes it doesn't but it's before the Lord ultimately and the Lord knows so congratulations to all of those who have obtained prizes if those who have got the cups and shields if you would come behind come uh, to the platform straight after now we finish we want to get a photograph before you you go on your way home uh, so please if you have got even those that were the joint winners both of you come please and uh, we'll take a one separately off the the box or the basket um, and have that as well so again thank you all very much for being here we appreciate uh, your presence tonight and we're just going to close with a word of prayer commit our way to the lord our father we do thank thee for tonight and the opportunity to acknowledge the work that is carried on in school, both by pupils and teachers, parents also. We realize, O oh Lord, that there is that commitment in every part for the school to go forward and to be a success. And we thank thee, Lord, for every success that thou hast given to the school and to the pupils. We pray that thou indeed will bless them bless them academically. We pray that they will do their very best. Those who have left school now and gone on to other things, we pray thy hand to be upon them. We thank thee for those who come back to meetings like this and other school functions. And we pray, Lord, you'll remember our past pupils as well. We pray thy blessing to be upon them. So receive of our thanks, we pray tonight, and be with us now as we go our separate ways. Grant us thy abiding presence, for we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.